Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with instant analysis of WWE Hell in a Cell. That's right, we are here just moments after WWE Hell in a Cell went off the air to break down everything that happened on the final, yes, final, finally, final pay-per-view of the WWE Thunderdome era. I have vintage Chris Vanini with me. We will talk about every single match that happened on the Hell in a Cell card. We will also break down a Hell in a Cell match that we surprisingly got Friday night on SmackDown, and we'll tie it all up with a bow for you tonight with grades and analysis for each match and the pay-per-view as a whole. Now, you guys know the way we do it here on the Instant Analysis Podcast. We try to waste as little time as possible. So straight up, right off the top, a reminder about what this show is all about. That means five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Do not forget to tell people how much you love the show and how much you appreciate us doing these instant analysis podcasts as soon as pay-per-views go off the air. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter for show drops and much, much more at Getting Overcast. So with that, I welcome in vintage Chris Vanini. Joining me, of course, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and the way we roll here, instant analysis style. It's the only podcast we do this. We crack open a cold beer. It's late at night. And we break down the pay-per-view. And the Silver King is going with my trusty Caramel Cream Ale from Due South Brewing in Boynton Beach, Florida. One of my favorite beers of all time. I'm using an old school can that they did a limited run for, so I'm very, very excited about this. Chris, what do you have tonight? I got some bad news, and that is uh, I don't have a beer on me because well, this I show's forgot. Well, going to suck. Well, the state of Texas, you cannot buy beer on Sunday. It's outside of like a tiny two hour window early in the morning. So I went out this I went out like midday to go get some and I realized they were all closed. It's a so, weird rule. It's like you can you can shoot a man so, in the face in Texas, but you can't get a beer on a Sunday. Right? Yeah, I, I, I actually looked it up. I think they're working on changing the laws this year about that. But everything in Texas is closed on Sundays. It's a problem in the five years since I've lived here. So I've just got a nice ice cold uh, liquid death water. And it's uh, taking liquid very death. Yeah. coming out of my uh, my Yeti. Uh, nice cold uh, glass of water. It's nice. I'm still rolling through those packages. I'm not a big sparkling water fan, but you know what I did? I bought a Mio. You remember those? Those little uh, squeeze yeah, things? Yeah, I do. And I make it into like a orange creamsicle soda. And you know what? It's pretty damn good. But all right, we're not here talk water. We're not even really here to talk beer, nor the fact that you can, you know, bring a gun into an amusement park in Texas, but you can't buy a beer on Sunday. We're not going to worry about any of that today. We're just going to break down WWE hell in a cell. And really, I should say hell's in a cell because or hell's in cells. I don't know, because we got three matches not to and we got one match on SmackDown that we did not expect. So before we get to the actual pay-per-view, let's talk about the match that we thought was going to main event the pay-per-view, but strangely ended up as the main event of Friday Night SmackDown on the go-home show. Chris, like, we'll get to the match. We'll get to everything that happened on SmackDown in a moment. But what did you think of the decision to take Roman Reigns, your top superstar, off your pay-per-view, put him in a match on SmackDown, and considering this match was about... Rey Mysterio and there and there was some tangential stuff to the fact that this pay-per-view is on Father's Day and the reason the, ha- the match even happened is because Reigns beat the shit out of his son. Forgetting all of that or, or including all of that, what did you think about WWE's decision here? I thought it was really weird. I, I mean, we didn't know it was a Hell in a Cell match until Talking Smack and then come around they announced it just a couple of hours before the show that we're getting what we thought was going to be the Hell in a Cell main event is instead going to be on SmackDown. Very weird. I was willing to give it some benefit of the doubt, thinking we might end up getting something on Sunday related to Roman Reigns, but we clearly didn't. So I really don't get it. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I don't understand it. It didn't need to be the main event of Hell in a Cell if you wanted it to be Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley at the end. I, it, it popped a rating a bit, I know, but... Uh, very, very, very strange. Not enough to justify it. And I mean, 
I assume the genesis of this was Fox putting pressure on WWE to build up the show. But for WWE to just kind of, if if that's the case, by the way, for WWE to kind of just give into it and allow that to happen rather than just say, hey, look, you know, you could have told us this two weeks ago and we would have booked it that way or we would have figured something out. Maybe we put Cesaro and Rollins in the main event of SmackDown inside Hell in a Cell as a bonus match, kind of like they did the WrestleMania kickoff show kind of on SmackDown before WrestleMania. They could have done that and that probably would have worked and been totally fine. But to take a universal title match off a pay-per-view that you're pro- you've been promoting the match for the pay-per-view for the better part of a weekend. Everyone knew that Roman Reigns would have a match on the pay-per-view. And then just put it on Fox on a Friday night starting at 9.40 p.m. during an NBA playoff game. Yeah. It just none of it worked for me. It was weird. And, and, and again, not having any promotion for none. It. We found out on Twitter a couple hours before, like, that clearly was not the plan. Well, Something, you did. It was, it was announced the day before Thursday, but... Yes. I didn't see it until Fridays. <laughs> right. I texted you. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't believe it. Yeah. But okay. But let's actually talk about what happened Friday. We got plenty to talk about on today's show. I said it last week. Mysterio was brought alive in this feud with Reigns. He cut another awesome promo to open SmackDown about the emotional wreckage of watching Dominic suffer with the powerbomb over the ropes. Then we saw Jimmy backstage. He dyed his hair like brown, half brown, and told Reigns he may not agree with him 100%, but their family, he gets it. He's got his back. Jimmy also said he couldn't find Jay, but had uh, Reigns back if he needed it later in the show. Reigns told him to focus on finding Jay because the family's better when it's whole, almost as if he was treating Jimmy like he was less than Jay. I thought that was pretty interesting. And it was a good overall setup to the match, but I couldn't really get over the fact that it was all happening on TV. I just got to be honest. Yeah, and getting commercial breaks in your Hell in a Cell match is a strange feeling. Yeah, well, we can roll it right into that if you don't have anything to say about the storyline. So... This match went to two commercial breaks in the first eight minutes that it was on. Mysterio used a fire extinguisher right away. He beat Reigns with a toolbox and a chair, wrapping it around his head and, and driving him into the cell on the ring post. Mysterio then dodged a spear from Reigns with Roman flying through a propped up table in the corner. Reigns eventually launched Ray into the cell and hit a Superman punch. Mysterio followed with the 619 with steel chair shots and hit a frog splash with a chair, but it, he was too hurt to make the cover. Mysterio hit a second frog splash without the chair and Reigns kicked out at 2.9. Michael Cole sold it like it was a normal near fall when it was his finisher. It should have been a huge moment and Cole just kind of forgot that it was a false finish. Reigns caught Mysterio and powerbombed him over the ropes into the cell, reminiscent of the Dominic spot, except vertically. I thought that was easily the moment of the match and the best move of the entire match. It was pretty sick. Reigns then put Mysterio into a standing cravat headlock, not his guillotine, and Ray immediately tapped out. Jimmy hit the ring to raise Reigns' hand in celebration, but Roman was focused on Ray, who was getting back to his feet. He got really pissed, put the cravat on Ray a second time for a few seconds, and Mysterio tapped out again. This match wasn't really bad, Chris, by any means, but I can't help but feel as if it lost a lot being taken off the pay-per-view, both due to the commercial breaks and the short runtime. The bell rang with 20 minutes left in the show. It ended with five minutes left in the show, so that means there was 15 minutes from the start of the match. And then, as I said, there were two commercial breaks taking time away from that. Hell in a Cell to me, dude, is not a match that should take place inside of 15 minutes. And unless it's a really special occasion, it should not really be on TV either. There's a reason it hadn't happened since 1998. For me, this just fell flat in the end, despite Reigns being dominant, despite some cool moves. So if I'm grading it, I don't know, like a 3.5 and a B, I think is generous. Yeah, if that it was it was very much a I mean you could have taken out the cell and done this match and it would have been a normal smackdown main event. Mm-hmm. I, I mean it was not anything special. It was fine. It was the it was the exact kind of hell in a cell match you could have had in the middle of the pay-per-view if you didn't want it to be the main event. It was uh it it, it was fine. It was, you know, this was a short feud that built up over just a couple of weeks. It was not something we expected a ton out of. Ray was fine. The match was fine. It just it wasn't up to the incredibly high standard, I think, that we've seen from everything Roman Reigns has been doing. Agreed. And especially the fact that it didn't happen on a big stage and it didn't get the time it probably should have had. But the truth is, this match, despite it in the end making sense to be inside Hell in a Cell, it never really needed to be. And I think that is one of the reasons why was moving it off of the pay-per-view weird and putting it on SmackDown weird. It absolutely was. 
But was that much lost from the pay-per-view with it not being there? In the end, I don't know that it was. And you know what? The SmackDown match that we ended up getting inside Hell in a Cell was way better than this. It, it was. I will just say, though, that my, my interest in the show had gone down considerably because this was it not going to be on the show. So that I, I, I'm curious. We don't get Peacock numbers, but I, I'm curious what the quote-unquote buy rate was uh, without this on the card. That will be interesting to find out if, I mean... If anyone like like Meltzer, well, sometimes they get like rankings and stuff. Yeah. And there's internal information that you can get. But no, they don't release it. Certainly not publicly. So this is the first time I think we've ever done this on an instant analysis, Chris. Let's move into the main event. Because the main event is actual instant analysis of the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Now, the way we do these for any first-time listeners is we start with our pre-show poll and our pre-show grades. Discuss that briefly. Then we break down the card, starting with the main event going down based on importance of the match. Doesn't really matter the order it happened in the card. And then we will wrap things up with a post-show grade and our final thoughts about what's happened at Hell in a Cell and how WWE is going to move forward. So as far as the pre-show poll goes, Chris, this was really interesting. And when you talk about interest or maybe expectations for this pay-per-view dwindling because Reigns wasn't on it, I think this poll showed it. Only 4% of respondents said A Hmm. for this show. 50% B, 40% C, and 7% D to F. That is by far the worst pre-show poll in terms of expectations that we've gotten for a WWE pay-per-view since probably the start of the pandemic in the history of us doing this show. That's how bad this was to the point where if you average it out, it's probably a B minus. But it's on that B minus C plus line right there. And usually the expectations for a WWE show are anywhere from A minus to B minus, usually a little bit higher than that. So I thought that was interesting. Going in, you believe I said B. I could have sworn on the ultimate preview I said B minus. So I'm sticking with B minus because that's how I felt at least going into this show. But you were, what were you, a B plus? I was a B plus, but I I had... With Reigns. I had the caveat that that very much expected. I, I was thinking B, but uh, but we would get a great Roman Reigns main event that might push it up to a B plus. Take that out. I was pro- today coming into it Sunday. I was probably in the B minus interest, uh, knowing that that wasn't on the card. Okay, so probably you, myself, and the fans, everyone who voted, probably feeling about the same going in, which is we're normally close, but sometimes you and I can be a little bit more pessimistic than the fans are. But I think everyone was on the same page. I will say, right before we get to this match, this first match, the intro to Hell in a Cell was incredible Mm -hmm. with the references to Warriors. Is that a movie you've seen? Uh, I've seen it like a long time ago. I know the general idea of it. Okay, As long as you've actually seen the movie. Um, But the references to Warriors in there, it was really freaking cool. And it kind of came out of nowhere. Even though WWE always nails their video packages, this one to me was exceptionally cool. Yeah, really good. Just uh, solid stuff all around from a video team that is always uh, really good. Always on point. All right, let's get to the main event. Bobby Lashley defending his WWE championship against Drew McIntyre inside Hell in a Cell with the stipulation that if McIntyre loses, he can never challenge Lashley for the WWE championship again. So, okay. Lots to talk about here. So McIntyre threw Lashley with a toss vertical suplex into the cell, ran him over twice with the steel steps. Then he did a white Russian leg sweep with a kendo stick. Shout out to the Sandman. But MVP slipped Lashley. His came through the gate. McIntyre hit Sheamus's white noise into the steel steps and later did an Alabama slam into a steel chair for a near fall as he dominated Lashley. McIntyre tried to use the steps again and Lashley drove him backwards with them wrapped around his face into the cell three different times. MVP helped Lashley use a kendo stick to lock McIntyre in the corner of the cell. McIntyre gave him double middle fingers that the camera kind of cut away from. I thought that was interesting. And Lashley then choked him out with the stick while getting in a ton of body shots, using him like a heavy bag, just kind of beating on his chest. Uh, Lashley, hey now, Lashley then hit a face buster outside and two more into a chair inside. I couldn't help but think, Chris, that this was the most dominant Lashley has looked in his WWE career. He was coming off to me here like an absolute freaking monster. 
yeah, I mean, wrestlers look better when they do really good things against really good opponents. Like no squash match is going to make somebody look all that much better. It's it's a it's a performance like we saw from Lashley in this match, knowing he's going up elite company, knowing he's in a big important match and 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 coming through, that's how you make somebody look good. And he was just bombs away on McIntyre. It was awesome to see Lashley be that dominant, even though McIntyre had stretches on his own. This match was truly. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. It was all meat, this match. Lashley blinded McIntyre, which led to the challenger running into the referee accidentally with a chair. He then ran Lashley into a propped up chair between turnbuckles and hit the future shock DDT, but the referee couldn't count. McIntyre demanded a second referee come into the cell, so the cell got unlocked. McIntyre escaped the hurt lock and hit a claymore, but MVP pulled the new referee out of the ring because the door was open and he was able to interfere. Then MVP got locked inside and ate a claymore for McIntyre. McIntyre then stupidly focused on MVP outside. Lashley caught him with the hurt lock, but McIntyre drove him backwards through a table in the corner in a huge spot. I wasn't really expecting that to happen. I thought it was awesome. McIntyre dragged Lashley inside, beat him with a chair, but Lashley collapsed and avoided the Claymore. He drove McIntyre into the post and chokeslammed him off the apron through a table at ringside that they missed at first. They did show us a replay. And weirdly, you could see a dude's hand like under the ring by the table when that was happening. Lashley rolled McIntyre inside, but he dodged a spear. After a Glasgow kiss and a future shock DDT, MVP grabbed McIntyre's ankle as he was attempting the Claymore and Lashley rolled him up for the win. I think he grabbed the tights too, Mm -hmm. to retain the title. This was a nearly perfect... type of match. In fact, Chris, it was perfect until the final 10 seconds. I know. McIntyre was turned around in the corner, bending down because of MVP. All they needed to do was have Lashley walk up to him from behind, put in the hurt lock, take him down to the ground and knock him out cold. He doesn't have to tap. He just passes out. Very simple. Put your champion over strong, even with interference especially on a show that had two lackluster finishes already that we're going to talk about later. So to end this pay-per-view with a roll-up in a big meaty man match, especially given the importance of the stipulation, this ending a blood feud, I mean, it's just so boring and lazy. You can come up with so many other ways to finish this match. Other than that, the final 10 seconds, this thing was an absolute banger. I may have even gone five stars if the finish was top tier, but it never got there. Unlike another match, this finish didn't kill it, but it did hurt it. So I'm going to go with 4.5 stars and an A because I loved 99.9% of this. Yep, I'm the same. This was the best. Lashley has looked... It was incredibly physical, which we knew we were going to get from these guys because they knew, I mean, we knew Lashley was going to win. We knew this was going to be the last match. We were going to leave it all out there. Drew McIntyre, I think, posted a photo of his back. Ripped to shreds. Looks pretty gruesome. Awesome match. These guys laid it all out there. And then you get that finish, and you're just like, no. (laughs) Because it doesn't. It doesn't protect Drew to have him lose via interference roll up. No. It just gives him another excuse to say, oh, I should have gotten this, even though, you know, the stipulation accounted whatever. And it makes him look stupid again. It makes him look stupid again, which is the problem at WrestleMania, which is the thing we did not get from Drew as champion in 2000. He was not a stupid babyface. And if Drew had just straight up lost this match clean, it wouldn't have hurt him one bit because it was an amazing match. And he he gave he he gave it his all. He got himself ripped up, and it just wasn't enough. And you can respect that effort and know he went toe to toe with the champion and could have beaten him. Instead, we got this whatever. So Drew can talk his way out of the fact that he didn't lose, and it doesn't help. I mean, Lashley looked great, but it hurts Lashley. 
we got he he won at WrestleMania because of MVP's interference. Like, just let the guy look good. It's okay to lose a match clean. You can look good losing clean. And Drew McIntyre would have looked perfectly fine if we don't have that finish. I don't want to go too much into that finish because the match was great. We saw it. These, these guys have great chemistry. But man, you just you didn't need to do that finish. It's not. It's the thing is, there's just so many other ways. I gave you one with the hurt lock. They they had Drew be stupid, calling for the cage to be open because he was frustrated because he didn't win when he had the opportunity to win. Then you had MVP cost him the fall, which shows that under normal circumstances, McIntyre would have won. Which is fine. That's a normal protection you need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's all the protection you need, and even. With again at the end, with MVP grabbing his ankle, you either have Lashley put the hurt lock on, or McIntyre escapes it and he like moves to the other side of the ring and Lashley catches him with a spear and gets him one, two, three, because he's been he's gotten his ass kicked already. So there's just so many other ways where you book it 99.9% the same way, but you just finish it stronger and you allow Lashley to look strong as a champion, and you have Drew say, you know what? I lost. I was stupid. It's my fault. Instead, he gets to complain or he gets to say, well, MVP cost me. No, you say it's your fault. I screwed up here. He, he didn't screw up. I mean, he did screw up, you know, a little bit, but in the finish, it really wasn't his fault. It was MVP's fault. So it's just frustrating to see this happen to Drew. We're talking about the better part of a year, at least nine months. He was booked as a super cool baby face, the type of face the WWE failed to make Roman Reigns. And over the last three or four months, they've just booked him like absolute dog shit. And it really sucks. The good thing about this is he's out of the title picture because the concern was they were going to overbook him like they did Roman Reigns and have him just win the title three or four times in succession for no good reason and have him beat Lashley here, not in front of fans, which wouldn't have made a shred of sense when you want him to get that celebration in front of fans. And instead, you have Lashley coming out They've totally swerved us when he beat Miz right before WrestleMania. We thought he'd lose to Drew. He didn't. He won the match with Drew and Strowman where we said, hey, it's a triple threat. He'll have an excuse to lose. He didn't. And now he beat Drew McIntyre one-on-one inside Hell in a Cell, granted with interference. So they're swerving the expectation, which is great. And I'm happy that Lashley's still champion. And I'm happy that Drew kind of gets to refresh himself, hopefully, in the mid-card. Yeah. But that finish... It's just killing me, man. If you had put this match in front of fans, Drew would have gotten a standing ovation at the end of it. If 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 you if you give it a clean finish, if he loses clean, right, he, he would have exactly. gotten a standing ovation for that performance. It would have gained a lot of respect and and gotten more over because of it. Instead, because we're all smarts, we think about the booking of the finish and right. we get annoyed by that. But yes, Drew will go off to do something new now. Hopefully, he can get refreshed. I think he desperately needs it. Lashley continues to look like a million bucks. I'm excited to see who, he, who who's next for him. And just a roll up in a WWE championship match. And by the way, it was near the ropes too. So Drew could have grabbed the ropes, but he didn't. Just everything about it wasn't good. You saw Drew like three minutes earlier in the match do a backslide. If they had done the backslide, I would have been probably okay with it. Like literally anything else would have worked. But all right, I digress. We got a lot more matches to talk about. And we're going to talk more about the Raw championship, the WWE championship. Tuesday on our WWE show, which will break down the Raw after Hell in a Cell. So we'll talk about more, more about this later. Before I move on, I do have a DM slide. And it's from Acme Tunes, A-K-M-E Tunes, Eldred Ryan. He said, as badly as WWE has booked their women's division over the last few months, you have to give them credit where credit is due. They're the only North American promotion that could do this. And what he's talking about is the fact that Hell in a Cell is the first WWE pay-per-view in history, not counting Evolution, to have more women's matches than men's matches on a card. There were four women's matches here to three men's matches, which I thought was extremely interesting going in. And dude, the match that opened this show, Bianca Belair versus Bailey inside Hell in a Cell for the SmackDown Women's Championship, it blew the doors off. Before we get to that, Let's talk about what happened on SmackDown. Belair cut an acceptable babyface promo that sounded a lot like most of her promos recently. She challenged Bailey to up the ante inside Hell in a Cell. Bailey attacked her, used Belair's braid as leverage, kicked her in the face, and hit the rose plant as a response. Then her image holding the title repeated across the Thunderdome. Just like with the Raw women's title match that we'll talk about in a little bit, 
Business finally picked up for this feud on the Go Home Show after four weeks of just blah. So I thought it was good booking, but despite liking both women and, spoiler alert, loving their pay-per-view match, this didn't really have the booking business to be inside Hell in a Cell. No, and, and, and we talked about it on Twitter Spaces before the show. It, it was set up for Cesaro Rollins to be like a, a Hell in a Cell match. We but, thought it would be. Yeah, yeah we, we thought it would be, but instead they go with this one, you know, you, you've got a lot of women's matches on the show. Maybe you want to give them a Hell in a Cell match and you want it to be on the SmackDown side of things. So I get why you come up with that, but you knew these two were going to deliver in the match. And yes, spoiler alert, they did. They certainly did. So this opened the show, as I uh, said, Bianca Belair, Bailey, Helen Cell, SmackDown Women's Championship. Belair chucked the steel steps outside of the ring, like with ease, <laughs> like it was a, it's like they were made of foam or something like that. Uh, and she failed to hit Bailey. The challenger literally bit Belair's forearm. Bailey hit a sunset flip powerbomb into the cell. She got two taped up double kendo sticks and propped them between the cage and the ring apron. But Belair caught her with a huge spine buster through both of them. And by the way, this was a callback to last year's match with Sasha Banks, where if you remember, Bailey like took the kendo sticks, was trying to tape them live during the show, failed, and they kind of gave up on the spot. So this time she had them pre-taped. So I thought that was very inventive and very smart. Yeah. Continuity is a great thing. Uh, Bailey tied Belair's braid to the steel chair, but she took out Bailey's knee and tied the braid to Bailey's wrist, using it like a strap to drag her all around inside and outside of the ring. Bailey begged out. She asked them to open the door. So Belair just laughed at her, which was a callback to their entire feud, which is really cool. Bailey then smashed Belair between a ladder and used it to hit a rose plant. But when she landed, her injured knee got hurt again and she was unable to make the cover. Belair came back with a glam slam into the turnbuckle vertically and then put a ladder atop Bailey for a scent on. Belair then opened the ladder horizontally, put Bailey on her shoulders and hit the KOD into the ladder closing it shut and getting the one, two, three in 20 minutes. After the match, Belair said backstage, she'd never forgive Bailey despite beating her, which I thought was interesting. I wasn't sure why exactly they did that. But man, this match rocked. The booking was perfect and obviously the right person won. Even though it didn't need Hell in a Cell, it sure as hell delivered being inside Hell in a Cell. I loved this entire match. They didn't overuse Belair's braid, despite recognizing that it needed to be part of the strategy and story. But that finish was just fantastic and a really smart use of a ladder for a KOD. And it's something that she can go back to in the future, which would be really cool. This is the third year in the row. There was Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks, Sasha Banks and Bailey, and now Bailey and Bianca Belair, that the women have totally delivered in their Hell in a Cell match. Sometimes an easy answer as to whether a match is good is if you want to watch it again. When we finish the show, when I get into bed tonight, I'm going to watch this match again. 4.5 stars and an A. This was an absolute banger. Totally. I, I loved the whipping the hair into the chair bit where where Bailey had to use it as a shield. That was pretty funny. Uh, when, when, when Bailey bites... Bianca, which is not something we see in many wrestling matches. And, and, and Pat McAfee goes, it's legal, but it's it's not cool to bite yeah. another human. He goes, <laughs> he goes, she better. It's legal, but it sure isn't cool. That was his line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, yeah, this match was great. You, you knew these two were going to put something on really strong. Bianca looks great. And this is exactly the kind of thing I always say with Bianca is that no, no promo is going to get her over more than just watching her put on an awesome match. And that's exactly what this was. And comparing this to the men's match we just talked about, Bailey does not lose anything by losing this match clean because we know Bianca is exactly. awesome because we have been told and shown that Bianca is awesome. There's no shame in losing straight up to somebody who is awesome like that. So this was the right finish. This was, this was a great match. The two LMSL matches on the show really delivered. And, you know, booking wise, did it make the most sense? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I really enjoyed both of them. On these notes that we're talking about here, I just want to wrap up. Belair was the first non-four horsewoman to enter Hell in a Cell as a female. So that was pretty cool for her. And since we didn't mention McAfee, I just want to say, this guy is incredible at this job. Okay. Yep. I tweeted, he is the WWE's commentary version of Tony Romo. 
And it's a applicable comparison as far as I'm concerned. And on that note, Jimmy Smith is doing an incredible job on Raw play-by-play. I think we said we'd revisit him right before Money in the Bank. We'd give him two months just like we were going to give Adnan Verk. I don't need it. This guy is a great play-by-play man. He's exceeded expectations. And the fact that he was calling the main event of a pay-per-view, and they didn't have Cole go in there and do it, he did a fantastic job in Lashley McIntyre. These guys deserve a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Smith, he he's felt like a natural since he since he immediately got in there. Uh, he, he's been good. And the thing with McAfee, you compare him to Tony Romo. The reason for that is that what we love about Tony Romo is how much joy comes through the screen just exactly. listening to him. You can tell he's having the time of his life calling an NFL game. And you feel excited because he's excited. And that's the exact same thing with McAfee. The guy loves doing this. And you can feel that. And it makes you love watching it because you know that the guy who's telling you the story is just as into this as you want to be. And that just that goes such a long way with commentary, with any sport. If you have a commentator who's into it, that just it it just it goes such a long way to enjoying a product. And that was great. I get one other question for you at the end of since we're done with the cell matches. Yeah. Um, Can we please get rid of the red cell? It has to go, man. Like I under I, I kind of understood changing it up a couple years back. Maybe the maybe the gray had gotten old, but we, we got to get back to the gray silver uh, cage. It's a normal cage. It will once again look violent uh, to, to have something like that. The red is just incredibly distracting. I'm almost positive that the first year they changed it, it was a raw exclusive pay-per-view. So I think it, it made be. sense because the red brand and hell. So it makes sense for the cage to be red. And I think when I saw it that year, I actually thought it was easier to see through it than the black or the gray. But I don't even care. The black or gray is better. Create more camera holes in it. You know, I, I don't know what you need to do. The red sucks. You're 100% right. And it's just, it's an eyesore. And putting it, it's one thing to do it on the pay-per-view. Having the red cell on SmackDown when everything else was blue, it just looked horrendous. So yeah. no, you're right. Uh, the one thing I did want to say about Pat was, just to your point, it sounds like there's nowhere else in the world he would rather be than where he is in that moment. Yeah. And as a fan, as someone watching on TV, that's the type of energy and excitement that needs to be fed through the TV to you. And it's the type of energy and excitement you really don't get from Cole. You don't really get it from Corey Graves either. You do get it from Byron Saxon. To, to give credit. Mm-hmm. So, and you know who else you get it from? When Daniel Bryan used to do this, uh, I think he did May Young Classic with Michael Cole, or maybe it was Cruiserweight Classic. I'm, I'm just, I'm all over the place tonight. It's late. But when Daniel Bryan did commentary and when Samoa Joe does commentary, they sound like that too. But McAfee is almost to another level. So credit to him. He's really good. Um, we got a lot more to talk about. So anything else you wanted to say before I move on? Nope, that's good. All right, cool. Uh, Let's stay with the women's championship matches. Raw Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair. So she was selling an injured knee as Ripley hit a missile dropkick and put the prism trap on Flair. The Flair broke it by flinging Ripley into the bottom turnbuckle, and then she hit natural selection for a near fall. Ripley was selling her injured knee all match long, including after a superplex that she delivered. Ripley then hit Riptide, but it was planted too close to the ropes, so Flair broke the fall with her foot. Flair drove Ripley's knee into the steel steps outside. They both beat the count at eight, which allowed Flair to catch a limping Ripley with a spear and then a figure four that she never converted into a figure eight because the champion was able to break it by dragging both of them outside the ring. Ripley then pulled off the top of the announce table directly into Flair's face. And the referee called a disqualification. (laughs) Seriously. That was the finish to the match. This is Since when does the announce table count as a weapon? Never. Never. That's when. Never. Even if Ripley had put Flair through the table, it's not a disqualification, let alone using the lid of it purposely. I don't care if it's purposely, accidentally. It doesn't make any sense. In any scenario, it is not a disqualification. 
Flair took it to Ripley after, but Ripley ended up hitting Riptide and standing tall anyway. Flair then yelled into the camera that Ripley is finally learning. Heaven forbid WWE allows Flair to lose a fucking match to a young champion they're building. Heaven forbid WWE allows Flair to be out of the women's championship picture for even one month. You know we're getting this again with Flair complaining on Monday and Sonya Deville probably granting her another championship match. This this is frustrating to me because this match was very entertaining, but I cannot get over how shitty and dumb that finish was in the co-main event of a pay-per-view. Zero point zero. Even if you have to do a DQ finish, at least don't give us one that insults our intelligence. This was an absolute booking travesty. It actually affected my enjoyment of the match itself. <laughs> and they're giving us that shit while trying to sell tickets to shows. They're about to do a 25-city tour. I don't even know how to grade this because the wrestling was strong. It was an exciting match. I think I had it at like 3.75 stars, but that finish was so shitty. I'm going down to 3.25 stars and Ouch. a B. Shame on whoever booked that finish. My, my first reaction when the finish happened was, I was right. This was my pick in the ultimate preview. I said there was going to be a DQ or something and Rhea the worst was going to retain. It would, and this, but this is Second not at worst. all what I expected. At the top of the table. <laughs> we see that all the time. I just, like, again, we're working backwards here, here but if you're going to finish it like that, just do a double countout. Have them brawl on the outside. Have the camera tight in on them. Don't acknowledge the referee is counting. And then he gets then because we're sucked in. Then he counts to 10. And we got the double count on. Oh, man, didn't see that coming. If you're going to run it back. Now, the problem is you shouldn't have booked yourself into the situation in the first place. Of course not. Which is always the issue, which is they put themselves in these positions where we know they don't want to have a winner. And so we get something like this. And third, to continue the theme that we've been doing here, you can lose clean and it's fine. Bailey not hurt at all by losing that. Drew, we're annoyed because he loses with a roll-up. Now we get this and we're annoyed at Charlotte for for getting a... DQ win, I guess, like this. It's just like, just have normal finishes. And I like, you know, when, when AEW says something like we're not going to have DQ finishes or whatever, like sometimes you just kind of roll your eyes or whatever. But a, a show like this really, I think, illustrates um, that something like that should be considered more often. If you want to do a DQ finish on a TV show at the start of a feud, I'm not going to argue with you, right? Like yeah. if you're building a feud from scratch and it starts with a DQ... And then you end up having a pay-per-view match afterward. That's okay. You know, WWE likes to repeat matches. It's fine. You cannot have a pay-per-view with the two quote-unquote top women on your brand, including a brand new champion who's trying to look strong. But all Ripley has ever accomplished is beating Asuka. She's beat Asuka three times. She can't beat anyone else. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Why can't Flair lose? Why is Charlotte Flair not allowed to ever lose? Even Roman Reigns lost occasionally. It's just booking malpractice to have this be the finish for a title match at a pay-per-view. And you're telling your fans that you're going to have this match again when we don't want this match again. Not that we don't like Ripley and Flair. If they wanted to do this match three months from now at SummerSlam and they booked their way into it, I probably wouldn't argue. But I don't want it Monday. I don't want it the following Monday. And I don't right. want it at Money in the Bank. Yes. Go to hell. And by yeah. the way, I, I said worst, like worst finish ever. First of all, that's obviously an exaggeration, especially considering the worst finish ever was like two years ago at this event when, with the Fiend Seth Rollins. That was the worst <laughs> finish ever. And then yeah. they still give us this piece of shit on the same paper. Well, one other thing on this, Rhea Ripley is not a face and that's a problem. We no, are, she's a heel. She's we, are not, heel. we are not connecting with her and therefore not connecting with this feud. I saw some people on Twitter going off to be just like, why isn't Rhea like, cool like she was in nxt and the reason is because she hasn't been presented that way like we, right. we, we know not we know barely anything about it we got to know her right before wrestlemania when they had some good stuff because she was a face 
for that situation. But then kind of, I, I don't even know. It, it just, it hasn't been clear if we should be rooting for her or not. She hasn't given us a reason to, and it's impacting the feud because we don't, we don't, we're not supposed to like her. So that's, that's another problem on this. Like have it, I don't know, have Charlotte really injure her or something. And she has to come back. I, I don't know. Just do something. Cause the characters are not connect. I, I mean, Charlotte's connecting for what she's trying to do, but Rhea is not, it, Rhea just has been felt like a fish out of water ever since she basically came up. Cause it feels like they don't know what they want to do with her. A microcosm of the difference between SmackDown and raw is the booking of Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley. Yep. And we we don't think Belair is being booked incredibly well, at least from a character standpoint on TV. But what they've allowed Belair to do is win matches against stars. She beat Sasha Banks and she beat Bailey twice. That is strong booking. Instead, again, you have Ripley do this bullshit with Charlotte Flair. And yes, does she beat Asuka? Yes, but she's beat her three times. It's meaningless now when she beats her. So... It's just like, what the hell are you doing? And it's, again, a microcosm of, and when I say a microcosm, I actually mean paradigm. Uh, it's a paradigm of the differences in booking between SmackDown and Raw. All right, let's move on. We've got a couple more matches left before we get out of here. We had Seth Rollins against Cesaro. We'll start with SmackDown. Cesaro started doing an interview backstage when Rollins interrupted. They went back and forth with Rollins disrespecting Cesaro as they acted like their match was set for the pay-per-view, despite the fact that it was never announced. I was dead sure, and I've talked about this, that Rollins Cesaro would be the SmackDown Hell in a Cell match as soon as the pay-per-view was announced. Not only did that not happen initially, they didn't give the stipulation even after moving Reigns and Mysterio to SmackDown. Now, I'm glad the women got a Cell match, and that match was awesome. But I have no idea why this match, considering it was legitimately a blood feud, did not wind up inside Hell in a Cell. Yeah, we, we, we talked about this on Twitter Spaces too, but I made the point that you could have basically run the same story and just announced the match essentially the day after the show after Backlash. And so you, you can tell the same story. Cesaro's hurt. Is he going to make it? He returns on Ding Dong Hello. And then maybe on the go home, you announce the cell or maybe you don't. So it was weird how this was the one match we knew was going to be on the card. We didn't get it until the very end, and it was just a bit strange. And we knew it would be great either way, but yeah. obviously inside a cell, it would have been probably special. So Rollins attacked Cesaro during his entrance on Sunday. Cesaro did a great deadlift vertical suplex. Cesaro stole Rollins' glove and shoved it in his mouth and then countered the stomp with a power slam. Rollins hit a version of carrying Cross's uh, forearm finisher to the back of Cesaro's head and neck for a near fall. Cesaro also kicked out of a Falcon Arrow and again after Rollins hooking back kick. I don't know what that's called. It's like the one move. I don't know. Uh, Cesaro countered the stomp for a third time with a discus lariat. He finally got the swing and a sharpshooter. And then when Rollins went to go for the rope, he countered that with a yes lock. Cesaro then started stomping on Rollins' arm, but Rollins caught him using that arm that he was injuring with an inside cradle for the win out of nowhere. Again, Basically, perfect booking here. Cesaro got over strong all match. Rollins sold his ass off for him. And yet, Rollins got the win without hitting his finisher. I'd have loved to stomp to end the entire thing. But Cesaro was kept strong at the end. And it was a really good wrestling match. So I didn't mind the inside cradle because I say this all the time. A roll-up is cheap. An inside cradle, a crucifix, a backslide. Those are all wrestling moves. Yes. And I accept those as finishes to matches. So. I'll go a couple steps maybe or a step below the women's Hell in a Cell and I'll go with like a 4.25 stars in an A because it was really damn good wrestling even though the finish came out of nowhere. And as Bray Wyatt as Vince McMahon would say. Yeah, an inside cradle is a wrestling move in a match between these two guys we know are highly technically skilled and it's sometimes can be a heel move. It's usually an underdog move or it's a heel move. And so you feel like Rollins just got one on him and that works. Uh, I think so. This match was great. We knew it would be great. Does this mean it keeps going forward? Uh, Possibly, but um, this was fun. And you know, where was positioned the finish we got? I I think it fit exactly what it needed to be. That was going to be my follow-up question or thought, I guess here. 
is I'm concerned that the feud's going to continue. They told the story on the pay-per-view that it was the third match and Cesaro now leads two to one. So it wasn't even really a rubber match, but I don't need this anymore. And if we're going to get this again, I mean, the only way it's acceptable is if they do a blow-off match on Friday. Anything right. beyond Friday, I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair as well. We want to get them into other spots. We do, you know, last time we saw Rollins, <clears throat> he was in that mysterious feud, which lasted what felt like a year. So For do not ever. Do not get him into Baron Corbin territory where every feud he does lasts six months. So yes, whatever it is, I hope either they have a blow off really, really soon or they move on because I think they both need to see other people. <laughs> Agreed. And I hope someone got my reference there. Uh, Kevin Owens, you did? Okay, good. Uh, I saw so you that saw that movie. movie. You've I actually saw seen that movie. movie. <laughs> of course, The Sandlot is a classic. Okay, good. Uh, Kevin Owens against Sami Zayn was another match on the card. We'll start with SmackDown. We had Apollo Crews and Commander Aziz against Big E and Kevin Owens. There was a fun moment where KO was endlessly praising Big E in gorilla position, <laughs> only for Big E to completely no-sell it because he's still pissed off over Owens trying to become Big O last year in the feud with New Day. Uh, I thought that was funny again. Good continuity. Mm -hmm. uh, to his credit, Aziz, I thought, was quite impressive and far more of a wrestler than Omas by comparison. I'm not saying Omas is bad. I'm just saying Aziz is a wrestler. Like, he can do the moves. He has a moveset. Yes. Uh, the only insanely stupid thing is he kept the military jacket on. <laughs> yes. What athlete in the world would ever restrict themselves with garb like that? It doesn't make I, any sense. Yeah, that was weird. You did, uh, it, it, it would... Like you could have just put him in something and it would have been. He had a, he had a tank yeah. top underneath. Just take the jacket yeah. off. That's all yeah. you need to do. Yeah. Anyway, Sami Zayn was on commentary and he distracted Owens while he was outside. That left him prone to a Nigerian nail for the loss. Then after the loss, Aziz hit another Nigerian nail. Zayn laughed in gorilla position about outsmarting Owens. This didn't get a lot of time, but overall it did get the job done as Owens got a match made for Hell in a Cell. The only problem really is that all of these guys need fresh storylines, and I don't know that we're going to get them. Now, do you have anything to say about SmackDown before we kind of move on? No, nah, it, it, was, it, was, it was what it was. Okay, so for the match, Owens sold a shoulder injury after a Topic on Hero by Zayn, and I think it was a legitimate injury, even though he's a top-tier seller. So he either got me hook, line, and sinker, or it's a legit injury, and I, I really do think he hurt himself. Owens fought back, but Zayn countered a senton bomb off the ring apron with double knees, outside the ring before hitting a blue thunderbomb for a near fall. Zayn then countered the stunner with a dragon suplex for a 2.9. Zayn started bleeding from the mouth after a huge elbow to his jaw. I also believe that was legitimate. And Owens caught him with a stunner outside. Zayn beat the count at 9.9. .9. It was perfect. And then Zayn finally caught Owens in the bottom rope, like his neck hit the bottom rope. And that allowed him to sell the injury from the Nigerian nail just a couple nights before, which I thought was pretty smart. And then Zayn hit the Haluva kick for the win. Zayn cut a promo on the kickoff show about karma and that it would come around for Owens and everyone else in WWE. And he reiterated that while yelling through McAfee's microphone on commentary <laughs> after the match. This was indeed a banger. As one would expect, it was entertaining from start to finish. It did start a little bit slow, but it really picked up near the end. I'm a bit dismayed that it seems like Owens is going to continue going after Cruz based on the booking because... The entire reason he lost the match is not so much Zayn, but the after effects of the Nigerian nail. But look, Zayn needed a strong win for once, and it was clean, which we like. And hopefully he can now be in the money in the bank picture, which I think would be a good booking for him. It was very smart to factor in the Nigerian nail. So I'll go with four stars and an A minus. This was a very entertaining match. Yeah, I don't know if I'd grade it that much, but it, but it was it, it was good. I mean... I, I think you picked Zane in the Twitter Spaces pre-show we did. You did. I picked. We uh, split it. You picked Rollins. I picked Zane. So I, and yeah. I picked. Uh, I picked Owens, because um, I thought maybe he moves into kind of the main event picture from here. But uh, maybe it's the Money in the Bank picture. And and that's the one thing they they have not talked about Money in the Bank at all. They will tomorrow for a while. I know, <laughs> but Monday. like considering, and I understand why, but considering they're going so heavy on the SummerSlam push, right? Um, I was expecting a Money in the Bank paper, uh, commercial during the show, which we normally get. Hey, the we next pay-per-view is this. Did we? I, I must have missed yeah. it. Maybe it was actually pretty good, yeah. Was it around Zane Kevin Owens? Because I was out for a minute during that. I don't remember, but it was definitely, I think, in the latter half of the show. So okay, maybe. I made because I had to run out for do something. I may have missed it. But uh, 
yeah, there's been zero talk of that. So, yeah, I, I, I'm curious to see how much they go into it uh, on Monday. And then two more matches before we get out of here. Alexa Bliss against Shayna Baszler. Look, we kind of knew what this was going to be, right? So let's not go crazy here. Uh, Bliss cut a short promo on her playground early in the show about expecting the unexpected. I thought she was promoting Big Brother on CBS for a second. Baszler got in gorilla position and she brushed off any concern about the match. She was accompanied by Nia Jax and Reginald at ringside. Baszler beat on Bliss, but she was unfazed, crawling like a spider and laughing. Bliss then mentally got Baszler to break a hold and then hypnotized Jax into basically being like a voodoo doll, like shadow boxing, forcing her to slap Reginald and then scream. Bliss then caught Baszler with Sister Abigail, the DDT version, and hit Twisted Bliss for the win. So outside of having Baszler lose to Bliss, which obviously I hate, this went as expected, and we both did expect Bliss to win. I did think it was going to be worse, so I don't know if that's a positive or not, but I thought it would be worse than it was. It was better served for a Raw. This was not a pay-per-view caliber match. It should not have been on the card, nor was the storyline the caliber that made this deserve to be on a pay-per-view card. I will say the idea that Bliss can hypnotize and mentally control people to mimic her, it's pretty decent in that it separates her from the fiend and it's something different that she can do. It's easily the most interesting part of the entire character. And when Jax slapped Reggie across the face, I legitimately laughed out loud. I thought that was funny. (laughs) The storytelling was okay. The match was nothing. So I'll go with two stars and a C minus just because it wasn't a botch fest. It wasn't terrible wrestling. It just is not good. Well, the wrestling was better than I expected because I had kind of forgotten about Alexa Bliss as a wrestler. We haven't really seen her in actual matches and i was like oh i forgot she can actually she can go quite a bit a little bit yeah yeah so that was uh a nice reminder i I think summing up the whole shana alexa deal would be better than expected or not as bad as expected i mean you and i didn't hate the the raw closing segment from a couple weeks back where shana was being haunted like Uh, i just get i get much more angry did I'm sorry to interrupt you. I get much more angry at the booking of the women's championship match than I do this taking 10 minutes of a three-hour Raw. Yes. I don't think it's that offensive. Is it good? No. Is it mediocre? Sure. I don't think it's actively bad. Right, which is why you wanted, which is why you should keep The Fiend out of title pictures because it, it gives you some, there's less pressure. It's a variety show. It's okay to have variety. So, uh, yeah, it was fine. I loved Shayna's gear, by the way. I don't know if that was new, yeah, but she looked really sharp. Um, and and I thought commentary did a good job explaining what Alexa Bliss was trying to tell. Because if it, it, it would have been hard otherwise, especially when she convinced Shayna to basically let her go. You, you kind of had to explain that, I think. And commentary, Jimmy Smith, they did a pretty good job of being like, hey, here's what's going on, because you needed that. It's not as clear as as a, as a Bray Wyatt, um, so that helped. So yeah, this was this was fine. It was whatever. And I will say, the idea of going to a Bliss versus Jax feud, it works for all the reasons we talked about on the Ultimate Preview and Breaking Down Raw because of their friendship, because of that WrestleMania storyline. If you did Blix versus Blix, I call her Bliss versus Jax. <laughs> at Money in the Bank as a singles match, I don't want it on a pay-per-view. But if you did, or if you did it on the go-home Raw before that show, that's a legitimate match that makes storyline sense. Long-term, not really long-term booking because it wasn't always the plan, but continuity of storyline. All those things are important. So there's elements here that are acceptable and good. It wasn't great. It, it was below average. So that's why I went with C- minus with two stars. I mean, it's... I'm not going to shit on it. I'm not going to say it was terrible like some people believe. I don't think it was terrible, but it wasn't good. I'll tell you that. And then finally, we did have a kickoff show match that came out of nowhere in Italia versus Mandy Rose. This coming off the tag team feud that began last Monday on Raw. This wasn't wasn't the best match necessarily, but I enjoyed it. Uh, And WWE gave it about 10 minutes. So we got a real match. Not the shit we normally see on Raw with those two and three minute pieces of garbage. 
It was a lot of classic wrestling with Rose totally holding her own through counters and reversals of standing moves, submissions, and pinning combinations. She had a V-trigger for a near fall, and then Natalia finally locked in the sharpshooter for the win. It wasn't groundbreaking in any way, but it was solid. So I would give it a solid like 2.5 stars and a C. I think exactly what you said at the beginning of this, which was you get a 10-minute pre-show match instead of a three-minute Raw match, and it makes a world of difference. It allows you to take the people involved, take them seriously, because, oh, I can see them wrestle a full match. We so often don't get that on Raw, which is a three-hour show. Like, imagine if they'd just done this match on Raw. Maybe the ratings wouldn't have been so good, but I think long-term it would have been better off for everybody involved. So, yeah, it was fine. It was it, it was it was a lot more interesting than what we've been getting from them on Raw. So, uh, yeah, good for them. It was. So let's wrap up this entire show, Chris. So, again, we'll refer back to the pre-show grades. You guys came in with only 4% A, 50% B, 40% C, 7% D to F. And we kind of are assuming that's like a B minus average, B minus C plus. Chris and I both going into the show, uh, I was B minus. Chris was, what'd you say, B or B minus? I was B B minus after Friday. After Friday. So basically all of us were going in with a B minus. So here is the post-show results of our poll. 16% said A, a huge step up. That's 12% Mm. higher from the pre-show. 57% said B, 26% said C, and 3% said D to F. So almost all of those additional A's came from the C category, which if you remember was 40% earlier, down to 26. It's about 14% difference. So I found that to be extremely interesting, Chris. I would guess because it's a 57% B, this is pretty much a B average is what I would say that the fans believe. What is your grade for Helena Cell? I'm going to give it a... B minus. Um, I just there weren't title changes. We didn't expect title changes. There was really good wrestling that probably would have put it at a B for me. But I think a combination of some really bad finishes uh, drops it down a little bit for me. So I'm going back and forth on it because the finish of Ripley and Flair, it was just so terrible. And it was the co-main event of the show. Right. But I think going with a B minus takes away from the fact that the opening and closing matches were absolute bangers. And the two men's singles matches that we got were in in some range of an A, an A minus, an A, whatever, whatever you want to say about them. They were both really high quality singles matches for a pay-per-view. And both of them ended clean, which is important as well. So I averaged my grades. Those came out to a 3.6 GPA, if you want to say it that way, which is exactly what I'd have guessed. So I'm going to go with a B pay-per-view. And if it wasn't for a couple of booking decisions, such as the roll-up in the main event, and of course the Raw Women's DQ, then this probably would have been a B plus or even an A minus. Because this show, no doubt, I think we both agree, even though you're staying with a B minus, I think this still exceeded expectations. Do you agree? Well, it met exactly my expectations. I, I mean, I had the same. But deal. did you expect I, those cell matches to be as good as they were? Both of them. Um, I expected them to be pretty good. I, I, I did. I, I think mo- more than anything on my grade on this, I'm uh, as I always say, I'm not as into the specific technical wrestling as much as you. I want some story. I want some stuff to happen. And really nothing happened on the show. And we didn't expect anything to happen on the show. We didn't expect any title right. changes, especially we knew when there wasn't going to be any Roman stuff. There were other than Drew can no longer fight Bobby. There's nothing really else has kind of come out of this. And so that's just kind of why I think I had it uh, to be minus. Still. No, and that's fair. That's your opinion. I actually think, by the way, the three raw matches had the worst finishes on the entire show. Think about that. The Raw Women's Championship, the WWE Championship, and Bliss Baszler. Even though Bliss Baszler, it was technically clean, I guess. But if you look at every other match on the show, they were all booked from a finish standpoint far better. The the best Raw finish was the kickoff show. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. The best Raw finish was the kickoff show. Yeah. That's insane. 
It, it uh, really go. It really just. It really goes to show you the state of the two shows. I don't think that's a coincidence. I will say this: no matter if it exceeded your expectations slightly or not at all, for me, it slightly did. For you, it didn't. WWE just continues. It's this really weird thing to kind of over deliver on poorly built pay per views. Mm-hmm. Like we almost give them the benefit of the doubt going into a pay per view that it's going to be entertaining, and that's not something we always used to believe. So I do find no, that interesting. No, we we used to know they were going to be bad, <laughs> right? You'd, you'd think, and so it's it's really strange that they've kind of reversed that course where it's like, okay, yeah, Raw's going to suck. SmackDown could either be great or good on any given week, but the pay per view is going to be either fire or semi fire. And this is the first time in a while, Chris, that I can remember actively being angry about finishes on a pay per view. I don't remember a time where I felt that exact same way during this pandemic era with the exception of Otis winning money in the bank. Yeah. I was going to say that <laughs> that's, that's the one I was going to bring up the money in the bank. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we being in the Thunderdome allowed them to tell their stories the way they wanted to tell them. And they didn't have to over bloat cards to, to give people their money's worth. And I think overall it's made the pay-per-views a lot better. They've been shorter. They've been to the point. We've only gotten the stuff that matters. We didn't have tag team championships on this pay-per-view. We didn't have an IC or a U.S. title on this pay-per-view. Um, and, and that's okay. I, I don't think any of those are really, other than maybe one of the tags, I don't think any of those are really in a position that would have boosted the card all that much. So I, I, I'm curious to see coming out of uh, Thunderdome shows, Thunderdome pay-per-views, where they go, they, they've moved the shows back now to eight o'clock Eastern, which I hate because I, I hate it. Time. I, lo- I get it, but I would I would love seven o'clock all the time. But it doesn't work if you're in central time, because then it's six o'clock local time and people are getting off of work. I, I it's get a Sunday, why. though. I know some people work Sunday. I'm not. Uh, no offense. Well, I, I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is a Sunday. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I get it. I just I, I loved having those seven o'clock Eastern pay-per-views. Um, clearly, they're not going to do that. So. Uh, I, I'm I'm really curious to see what things look like moving forward. Are we going to go back to seven, eight match, four hour pay per views? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to be at Money in the Bank here in in, in Texas uh, when that happens. I'm excited for it. So, uh, not the greatest ending to the pandemic pay per view era, but overall, very very solid set of shows. And I think there's a lot of lessons they can take away uh, from what they did here. Yeah, I think, look, the WWE Thunderdome was ultimately a success. You know, we're, we're, we still have another, I think, three weeks of Thunderdome in terms of TV show matches. So and cards, I mean, and just regular tapings. So we will kind of do a goodbye, a farewell to the Thunderdome when it's appropriate right before uh, July 16th, which I believe is the first non-Thunderdome smackdown right ahead of Money in the Bank on my birthday, by the way, July 16th. You guys can send me gifts whenever you want. Uh, but no, I, I think largely the pandemic era WWE pay-per-views from the PC and the Thunderdome, they over-delivered in totality. And mm-hmm. I think to your point, cutting them down to five or six matches, most cards being anywhere from two hours and 30 minutes to three hours and 15 minutes. I want to say every card actually kind of fell in that range. It was a huge benefit, obviously, with the exception of WrestleMania. It was a huge benefit for the viewing experience. And yeah, that, that 7 p.m. start time, that happened before the pandemic. WWE was doing that you know, before that, and I was loving it. The fact that we could get through a pay-per-view and finish up at 9.40 or 10 p.m. Eastern, do this instant analysis, and go to sleep at a normal hour was great. The way things stand now, Silver King's getting a late, late bedtime. But that's okay because that's what we do here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. When we give you pay-per-view instant analysis and tonight we wrap up WWE Hell in a Cell. So please allow me to tell you what's coming up next here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back Tuesday with a full breakdown. Everything else that happened on SmackDown that had nothing to do with Hell in a Cell along with the Raw after Hell in a Cell. We will have a full WWE show this coming Tuesday. And we may even talk about a couple of those A&E biographies that we need to get to. The Silver King will then be back on Wednesday with an NXT recap and a full breakdown of AEW Dynamite from this past Friday. We just didn't really have a way to fit it into 
any other shows. The following Tuesday is WWE again, and the following Wednesday will be NXT and AEW Dynamite from Saturday night. So a couple, two show weeks coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We'll see if anything changes. There could be breaking news. Um, Maybe there's interviews coming down the pike for the Silver King. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But as of right now, back to a normal schedule after back-to-back pay-per-view weeks. Two shows coming up this week on Tuesday and Wednesday, and the same thing the following week, again, on Tuesday and Wednesday. So that is it here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. A reminder about what we at this show love to hear. We love to hear that it's all about the five. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show and let people know how much you love our instant analysis podcast. And also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do you get episode drops, that's also where you can participate in our pre- and post-show polls. And you can join our live podcast on Twitter spaces that we do before every pay-per-view and whenever there's major breaking news there's every reason in the world to follow us on twitter at getting overcast that is it for tonight for vintage chris Manini, this is one more time the silver king adam silverstein thank you for joining our instant analysis i will see you on tuesday but for now i'm going to leave you with just three final words bye for now